0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Nonsense, he said. Hear what more I have to say. For we should also fully explore the arguments that are opposed to the ones Glaucon gave. The ones that praise justice and find fault with injustice, so that what I take to be his intention may be clearer. When fathers speak to their sons... They say that one must be just, as do all the others who have charge of anyone. But they don't praise justice itself, only the high reputations it leads to and the consequences of being thought to be just, such as the public offices, marriages, and other things Glaucon enlisted. But they elaborate even further on the consequences of reputation. By bringing in the esteem of the gods, they are able to talk about the abundant good things that they themselves and the noble Hesiod and Homer say that the gods have given to the pious. For Hesiod says that the gods make the oak trees bear acorns at the top and bees in the middle and make fleecy sheep heavy laden with wool for the just, and tells of many other good things akin to these. And Homer is similar. Quote, when a good king in his piety upholds justice, The black earth bears wheat and barley for him, and his trees are heavy with fruit, his sheep bear lambs unfailingly, and the sea yields up its fish. Musaeus and his sons make the gods give the just more headstrong goods than these. In their stories, they lead the just to Hades, seat them on couches, provide them with a symposium of pious people, crown them with wreaths, and make them spend all their time drinking as if they thought drunkenness was the finest wage of virtue. Others stretch even further the wages that virtue receives from the gods, for they say that someone who is pious and keeps his promises leaves his children's children and a whole race behind him. In these and other similar ways they praise justice. They bury the impious and unjust in mud in Hades, force them to carry water in a sieve, Bring them into bad repute while they're still alive, and all those penalties that Glaucon gave to the just person, they give to the unjust. But they have nothing else to say. This, then, is the way people praise justice and find fault with injustice. Besides this, Socrates, consider another form of argument about justice and injustice, employed both by private individuals and by poets. All go on repeating with one voice that justice and moderation are fine things, but hard and onerous, while licentiousness and injustice are sweet and easy to acquire, and are shameful only in opinion and law. They add that unjust deeds are for the most part more profitable than just ones, and whether in public or private, they willingly honor vicious people who have wealth and other types of power and declare them to be happy but they dishonor and disregard the weak and the poor, even though they agree that they are better than the others. But the most wonderful of all these arguments concerns what they had to say about the gods and virtue. They say that the gods, too, assign misfortune and a bad life to many good people, and the opposite fate to their opposites. Begging priests and prophets frequent the doors of the rich and persuade them that they possess a God-given power founded on sacrifices and incantations. If the rich person or any of his ancestors has committed an injustice, they can fix it with pleasant rituals. Moreover, if he wishes to injure some enemy, then, at little expense, he'll be able to harm just and unjust alike, for by means of spells and enchantments they can persuade the gods to serve them and the poets are brought forward as witnesses to all these accounts. Some harp on the ease of vice as follows, Vice in abundance is easy to get. The road is smooth and begins beside you. But the gods have put sweat between us and virtue. End quote. And a road that is long, rough, and steep. Others quote Homer to bear witness that the gods can be influenced by humans. Since he said... The gods themselves can be swayed by prayer, and with sacrifices and soothing promises, incense and libations, human beings turn them from their purpose when someone has transgressed and sinned. Quote. And they present a noisy throng of books by Musaeus and Orpheus, offspring, as they say, of Selene and the Muses, in accordance with which they perform their rituals. And they persuade not only individuals but whole cities, that the unjust deeds of the living or the dead can be absolved or purified through sacrifices and pleasant games, whether those who have committed them are still alive or have died. These initiations, as they call them, free people from punishment hereafter, while a terrible fate awaits those who have not performed rituals. When all such sayings about the attitudes of gods and humans to virtue and vice are so often repeated, Socrates, What effect do you suppose they have on the souls of young people? I mean those who are clever, and are able to flit from one of these sayings to another, so to speak, and gather from them an impression of what sort of person he should be, and of how best to travel the road of life. He would surely ask himself Pindar's question. Should I by justice or by crooked deceit scale this high wall, and live my life guarded and secure? And he'll answer... The various sayings suggest that there is no advantage in my being just if I'm not also thought just, while the troubles and penalties of being just are apparent. But they tell me that an unjust person, who has secured for himself a reputation for justice, lives the life of a god. Since, then, opinion forcibly overcomes truth, and controls happiness, as the wise men say, I must surely turn entirely to it. I should create a facade of illusory virtue around me to deceive those who come near, but keep behind it the greedy and crafty fox of the wise Archilochus. But surely someone will object. It isn't easy for vice to remain always hidden. We'll reply that nothing great is easy. And in any case, if we're to be happy, we must follow the path indicated in these accounts. To remain undiscovered, we'll form secret societies and political clubs. And there are teachers of persuasion to make us clever in dealing with assemblies and law courts. Therefore, using persuasion in one place and force in another, we'll outdo others without paying a penalty. What about the gods? Surely we can't hide from them or use violent force against them. Well, if the gods don't exist or don't concern themselves with human affairs, why should we worry at all about hiding from them? If they do exist and do concern themselves with us, we've learned all we know about them from the laws and the poets who give their genealogies. Nowhere else. But these are the very people who tell us that the gods can be persuaded and influenced by sacrifices, gentle prayers, and offerings. Hence, we should believe them on both matters or neither. If we believe them, we should be unjust and offer sacrifices from the fruits of our injustice. If we are just... Our only gain is not to be punished by the gods, since we lose the profits of injustice. But if we are unjust, we get the profits of our crimes and transgressions, and afterwards persuade the gods by prayer and escape without punishment. But in Hades, won't we pay the penalty for crimes committed here, either ourselves or our children's children? My friend, the young man will say, as he does his calculation, Mystery rites have great power, and the gods have great power of absolution. The greatest cities tell us this, as do those children of the gods who have become poets and prophets. Why, then, should we still choose justice over the greatest injustice? Many eminent authorities agree that if we practice such injustice with a false facade, we'll do well at the hands of gods and humans, living and dying as we've a mind to. So... Given all that has been said, Socrates, how is it possible for anyone of any power, whether of mind, wealth, body, or birth, to be willing to honor justice and not laugh aloud when he hears it praised? Indeed, if anyone can show that what we've said is false and has adequate knowledge that justice is best, he'll surely be full not of anger, but of forgiveness for the unjust. He knows that, apart from someone of godlike character who is disgusted by injustice, or one who has gained knowledge and avoids injustice for that reason, no one is just willingly. Through cowardice or old age or some other weakness, people do indeed object to injustice. But it's obvious that they do so only because they lack the power to do injustice. For the first of them to acquire it is the first to do as much injustice As he can. And all of this has no other cause than the one that led Glaucon and me to say to you Socrates, of all you who claim to praise justice, from the original heroes of old whose words survive to the men of the present day, not one has ever blamed injustice or praised justice except by mentioning the reputations, honors, and rewards that are their consequences. No one has ever adequately described what each itself does of its own power by its presence in the soul of the person who possesses it, even if it remains hidden from gods and humans. No one, whether in poetry or in private conversations, has adequately argued that injustice is the worst thing a soul can have in it, and that justice is the greatest good. If you had treated the subject in this way and persuaded us from youth— We wouldn't now be guarding against one another's injustices, but each would be his own best guardian, afraid that by doing injustice, he'd be living with the worst thing possible. Thrasymachus, or anyone else, might say what we've said, Socrates, or maybe even more, in discussing justice and injustice, crudely inverting their powers, in my opinion. And frankly, it's because I want to hear the opposite from you that I speak with all the force I can muster. So don't merely give us a theoretical argument that justice is stronger than injustice. But tell us what each itself does, because of its own powers, to someone who possesses it, that makes injustice bad and justice good. Follow Glaucon's advice, and don't take reputations into account. For if you don't deprive justice and injustice of their true reputations and attach false ones to them, we'll say that you are not praising them, but their reputations, and that you're encouraging us to be unjust in secret. In that case, we'll say that you agree with Thrasymachus that justice is the good of another, the advantage of the stronger, while injustice is one's own advantage and profit, though not the advantage of the weaker. You agree that justice is one of the greatest goods, the ones that are worth getting for the sake of what comes from them, but much more so for their own sake, such as seeing, hearing, knowing, being healthy, and all other goods that are fruitful by their own nature and not simply because of reputation. Therefore, praise justice as a good of that kind, explaining how, because of its very self, it benefits its possessors, and how injustice harms them. Leave wages and reputations for others to praise. Others would satisfy me if they've praised justice and blamed injustice in that way, extolling the wages of one and denigrating those of the other, But you, unless you order me to be satisfied, wouldn't. For you've spent your whole life investigating this and nothing else. Don't, then, give us only a theoretical argument that justice is stronger than injustice, but show what effect each has because of itself on the person who has it, the one for good and the other for bad, whether it remains hidden from gods and human beings or not. While I'd always admired the natures of Glaucon and Adamantus, I was especially pleased on this occasion, and I said, You are the sons of a great man. And Glaucon's lover began his elegy well when he wrote, celebrating your achievements at the battle of Megara, Sons of Ariston, godlike offspring of a famous man. That's well said, in my opinion. For you must indeed be affected by the divine if you're not convinced that injustice is better than justice and yet can speak on its behalf as you have done. And I believe that you really are unconvinced by your own words. I infer this from the way you live. For if I had only your words to go on, I wouldn't trust you. The more I trust you, however, the more I am at a loss as to what to do. I don't see how I can be of help. Indeed, I believe I'm incapable of it. And here's my evidence. I thought what I said to Thrasymachus showed that justice is better than injustice, but you won't accept it from me. On the other hand, I don't see how I can refuse my help, for I fear that it may even be impious to have breath in one's body and the ability to speak, and yet to stand idly by and not defend justice when it is being prosecuted. So the best course is to give justice any assistance I can. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.